As I walked on through Chatham Street, a fair maid I did meet. She asked me to see her home, she looked and bleaker straight to me away. Santi, my dear Annie, oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? The Long Haul Podcast, America's Irish Voice. Interviews with inspiring immigrants, renowned Irish personalities, and discussions on all things Irish America. Presented by Michael Dorgan. Welcome along to this week's edition of the Long Haul Podcast, where the 42.ie's Gavin Casey is back to give us a preview on Katie Taylor's upcoming fight against Karen Carabajal this Saturday in London. Katie puts all her world lightweight titles on the line against the unbeaten Argentinian, although she isn't expected to cause too many problems for the Irish Olympic gold medalist. Although we usually only cover Irish topics or Irish sporting events here in America, I felt it was worth keeping tabs on Katie this weekend, given she is based in Connecticut and, of course, has fought stateside many times before. Gavin also gives us an insight into why the Amanda Serrano rematch in Crow Park didn't materialise this year and he tells us if he thinks that mega fight will happen next year or will we see KD trading letter with the likes of MMA superstar Chris Cyborg back in Madison Square Garden or in Las Vegas. We also look back on the sensational success of Aaron's female boxers at the European Championships last weekend with gold for Kelly Harrington, Amy Broadhurst and Aoife O'Rourke. So I have uh, Gavin Casey from the 42 uh, calling in from, from Ireland, from Cork. Um, I believe you're on Cork, Gav, today. Um, Aaron's preeminent boxing journalist, so we're going to take a look ahead to the Katie Taylor's fight Saturday against Karen Carabajal, did I pronounce that right, Gav? Um, it's her yeah, first fight since the, um, since of course the, the spectacular, the classic, the legendary fight back in um, earlier this year in Madison Square Garden against Amanda Serrano. Gav, what are we looking looking ahead to this Saturday? Is it a matter of Katie getting back on the road again after taking maybe a more a longer break than after previous fights? Yeah, I think it is just a stay busy fight, Mike. And we know the extent to which she's actually addicted to competing and addicted to boxing, even at her, her grand old age now as a professional athlete. And as you say, there was a little bit of a longer break that probably would have been required after the damage that she took in the Serrano fight, in fairness, particularly in that fifth round, albeit I think she was back in the gym only three or four days after that fight. You want to give a little bit of pause, obviously, for the body to recover and you don't want to be going and taking shots again, full-blooded shots again like that yeah. so soon. And I think with this fight, it's just keeping Taylor happy and, and, and keeping her active. She would have been desperate to get out before Christmas. She'd probably come home then to Ireland for Christmas and spend it with family. So just squeezing in a fight before then. And with an eye, I think, still on a, a Serrano rematch, we hope in Ireland next year, which I know we'll get on to. So, yeah, it's, it's, I don't want to be disrespectful to Carabajal, but I think it is a bit of a box-ticking exercise. She is an unheralded opponent. And I think it's more so about getting Katie back in the news a little bit, get people talking about her again, and maybe drumming up a little bit of, a little bit of the hype for a rematch that might have been lost in the last few months as it fell apart initially, anyway. So like it like it is a title it is a a title fight all the belts are on the line again um Carvajal she's Argentinian I don't think she's fought outside her country before um but these like let, let's be honest we're expecting her to win but at the same time she's she's a professional she's going to take it seriously uh, she knows what's ahead of her it's um do you see any upset on the card or do you see any uh, chink in her armor is uh, come Saturday night like 
I won't lie, I don't know a great deal about Carvajal. And from what I've seen, I can't imagine a situation in which she troubles Taylor. She's just not good enough from what I've seen. At the same time, we've seen fighters of Taylor's age in their mid-30s grow old overnight or between fights or sometimes between rounds, as Mickey Ward discovered once against Arturo Gatti in that third fight of, of their classic trilogy. So I guess you can never write anything off, but it, I would just be absolutely stunned if Carabajal is even especially competitive in this fight. I'd see it being a yeah. fairly clear points victory for Taylor. She hasn't had a stoppage win in a while. Maybe she gets back on that particular train this time around. And as I say, I think it's more about, it's almost not about the opponent. Again, with the greatest respect to Carabajal, it's almost more like giving Taylor a show, having people talking about Taylor and just through that attention um, uh, and that sort of, I guess, engagement with fans, getting the drum beating again for Croker next year, we hope. Yeah, so um, do you think that's going to happen? And I know you have kind of a, might have the inside scoop as to how it fell apart a couple of months ago. We were all on a high. We all thought it was going to happen maybe September. Um, but it was, I think it was, it was hard to get that together in such a short space of time. Garth Brooks was there for a couple of nights, and then you, as you know, Crow Park is limited. So, was it ever going to happen, or what? What? What really happened that it didn't come to fruition? No, I, well, I mean, from Taylor's point of view and, and from her side of the equation, it absolutely was going to happen. And Brian Peters, her manager, especially, had put in an enormous amount of work in order to make it happen. Uh, the GA, as far as I know, were completely on board with it, and were actually um, excited by the prospect of it. Crow Park. Uh, officials there themselves absolutely on board I, I would have been surprised even if there was any objection from the residents <laughs> given that Taylor is a, a national icon uh, so I don't think she would have run into any of the same difficulties that Mr Brooks did all those years ago but in and in fairness there was even discussions on a political level as to how everything would go over as, as smoothly as possible um there was encouragement from, from pretty much everybody involved on the Irish side. And it wasn't one of those situations which we always we often hear of in boxing where a promoter talking about a fighter coming home or, or, or talking about a prospective fight is pure lip service. There was a genuine effort made and a lot of groundwork laid in order for this to take place. And really, <clears throat> excuse me, and really, it was Serrano who just pulled the plug in it and and it was a pretty straightforward process for her and the people around her being Jordan Maldonado her trainer manager and Jake Paul who's her de facto manager I guess I guess they understood that to wait is of huge benefit to Serrano in the sense that Taylor won't be better next year than she yeah. was in April right like at this stage of Taylor's career she is in slight but conspicuous athletic decline in, in actual fact that actually made her victory over Serrano probably the best of her career to my mind because she's not the athlete that she used to be purely just through organically aging right um and if that is the trajectory that she's on why would Serrano not wait and maximize yeah. her chances of actually winning particularly in Croke Park if you're coming to somebody's backyard where you think okay if it goes to points they might get the benefit of the doubt you probably want to stop her in order to make sure that that doesn't happen and the longer you wait, the greater your chances are of stopping her. Now, Serrano herself, as far as I'm concerned, or, or as far as I've heard, rather, was absolutely on board to come to Croker. Uh, we were both in, obviously, New York at Madison Square Garden after the original fight, and she was excited by the prospect of it. And I think she went as far as to say, 
well, Katie has come to my hometown. It's only right that I go to her home country for a rematch. And then the mood music around that sort of changed. And I think part of the reason for that was while Brian Peters um, and, say, Taylor's team were working on the prospect of a homecoming, obviously Matchroom were trying to negotiate the contract with Serrano for that rematch. But Matchroom had probably overextended a little bit in their negotiations in order to get the first fight over the line. So they had made promises pertaining to the rematch, um, one of which I believe was that Serrano could walk to the ring second, no matter what happened in the first fight, which if listeners aren't um, accustomed to boxing or aren't used to sort of following it, like the champion always walks second and it's sort of a, a prestige thing to walk second. But like Serrano, I think added even in the contract that if there is a rematch, I'm walking second, regardless of what happened or something along those lines. And like, obviously when it came to negotiating the rematch, then Matram were like, whoa, 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 you know, like let's roll back on that a little bit. There's still a little bit of dialogue to be had here. Whereas Jake Paul actually um, was looking at that and saying, no, well, look, you promised, you promised us this. Yeah. If you're going back in the promise, then you can piss off uh, effectively. And that's how it probably broke down on a on a negotiations level, a few little th- details like that. That wasn't the only one, just an example of one. And that's why we didn't get it in the autumn. I truly believe it would have happened in this month, probably in the middle of this month, if not the very start of November, had those complications not been reached. But equally, had Jake Paul and Jordan Maldonado not realized that to actually wait until next spring or summer maximizes their chances of probably achieving one of the great victories in women's boxing history. Yeah, of course, Katie, I think 37 now in July. Um, so that, that's kind of age she'll be. But go, getting back to them, will it be hard then to get that over the line with that team in place with Serrano? Is Jake Paul going to be a stumbling block to Eddie Ahern? And uh, what's the relationship, the dynamic there between the two of them? They seem to be getting on well. But they were very, you know, it seemed to be friendly enough promoting the fight the last day. The, uh, they did a little uh, cameo there before the uh, way in the last time. All seemed to be going well. But uh, I heard rumblings maybe that things kind of might have broken down afterward. What's your <laughs> your... your <clears throat> yeah, they definitely broke down afterwards. I'm pretty sure Hearn is trying to sue Jake Paul for I don't know a couple of hundred million quid or something. I don't know what the figure is actually, but uh, for defamation. So I would say communications between them will be kept to a minimum. But I wouldn't say that precludes the fight from happening. And I think negotiations next time around will actually, in theory, they should be smoother because I think Serrano between now and spring or summer when they'd be looking at having that fight in Crow Park will have that missing piece of the jigsaw. She wants to become undisputed at featherweight and she holds three of the four belts now. So she needs one more to become undisputed. I think she can fit that fight in uh, with Erica Cruz between now and fighting Taylor. And I, this is only a hunch, but I feel as though if she was the undisputed champion, if she had that sense of completion at featherweight, she'd be even more keen to uh, return to the Taylor thing and, and extend her legacy that way. So I think part of the reason, maybe part of the reason why uh, Maldonado and Paul felt happy enough to hold off and taking the Taylor rematch was that, well, we also have this undisputed thing, a featherweight that we can go after in the interim. So it's not like Amanda's going to be sitting twiddling her yeah. twiddle thumbs, you know? So if she gets that out of the way, I can't really see too many stumbling blocks. Of course, as you say, Jake Paul, I mean, look, he's erratic and I don't really want to talk about him either. You know what I mean? Like, because I just don't know a great deal about him. Um, I, I would imagine he's pretty combustible and, and 
you know, who knows? But ultimately, as we've seen many times in this sport, if the figure on the check is right, um, and to be fair, and if Serrano has very little left in the sport to achieve other than to go back to try to avenge that defeat to Taylor, then why not? Do you think he's helped the cause the last fight promoting it? Do you think he's given it more exposure? Was he a good thing or a bad thing to to get himself involved in the in the last fight and get involved in Serrano's camp? I think he did elevate the uh, yeah elevate the, the sort of status of the last fight in the sense that it I know it's a bit of a cliche when it comes to speaking about people like Paul and YouTubers and that sort of thing, but it does. Uh, expose a fight to a more well to an audience that wouldn't otherwise be yeah. exposed to it and I think a lot of younger people are, are curious about Paul or follow him religiously and, and um, may have uh, looked at this Taylor Serrano thing at the time and thought like I'm interested in that if, if Jake Paul's involved and obviously the, the stories yeah. of the individual athletes were compelling enough that it might have drawn them in as well so yeah I, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say he's had like a a net positive impact on women's boxing because I think a lot more people deserve a lot more credit than he does for its yeah. explosion in recent years. But at the same time, I don't really view him as a great hindrance to boxing either. Um, he's uh, what they would call in business a disruptor. And as you know well, boxing needs a bit of disruption yeah. now and then. So no harm, I suppose. Um, if if it does go ahead, say let's say next summer, is that going to be her final farewell, or do you like I, I look at Katie? It seems as if she wants to go on forever, and um, do you think she'll bow out at that point, at that juncture, or will she go again? I know there's talks of other other fighters in the in the midst. Um, they're saying Chris Cyborg could be a kind of a cross, uh, could be a fight there to to put in play. What do you think is the plan then after it? I don't know if she's even thought that far ahead in all honesty. And it's one that she might be asked this week in London. But my hunch would be that if she got the Croke Park thing and if it was a national sporting event and like a moment that would stand the test of time that we'd be talking about in 20, 50 years, um, that that can't be beaten at that point. And that you've done so much over the course of 20 years of boxing competitively and that maybe she would think, you know what, everything after this will be an anticlimax. I am 37. I don't want to be punched in the face for the rest of my life and maybe right off into the sunset. It's just difficult to envisage Taylor doing that because we know how dedicated she is to her sport, but how obsessed she is with it. And this, the extent to which it plays a role in her life. Like People often try to get to the bottom of Katie Taylor's personality and they want to know what's actually behind the mask or what's behind the, the sort of front-facing public personality that we see because she gives very little away. I think the reality is actually that there isn't a huge deal behind it. I think she's quite a simple person, very intelligent person, but somebody who lives a simple life and mm. the three pillars of her life, if you like, are, are, are family and friends, church and boxing. And boxing actually probably consumes three quarters of her time uh, and what she's thinking about. So to take that away from somebody or, or for somebody to take it away from themselves, if you like, by walking away from it, leaves an absolutely enormous void. Everybody who listens to the podcast who follows sport will have heard of the cautionary tales of professional athletes retiring and not quite knowing what they're doing next. And I think Taylor conceivably would be a really heightened, accentuated version of that because boxing has been so major in her life. But also she has people around her, her mother, Bridget, her coach, uh, Rossi my manager, Brian Peters, who 
know all of this. They know all of what I'm saying. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they will be trying to make plans for her afterwards or, or help her to find a path in her life afterwards. And there may be no concern whatsoever. It's just my knowledge of it is that I, I don't know what she does next. And maybe that makes it harder for her to walk away. But equally, I think if if the reality hit her in front of 82, 83,000 people, that sort of sense of, I, I guess that, that sense of um, gratification uh, would, would never be greater. And I think she would know that. Yeah. And at that point, it's, it, I think it is best to walk away, particularly when you are 37 and you're in her profession. Yeah. And it would be kind of a sense of a completion, wouldn't it? If she won, by the way, if she lost to Serrano, we could get a replay. Backing Crowfire could be even a, a bigger money spinner. Like, but um, like she's got a good, she's got a, uh, a good uh, group, tight knit group around her. As you say, Peter, Peter is Ross. You know, they're not going to, if they know she's on the, if she, her health is at risk or whatever, they're going to pull the plug. But at the same time, if she was to prolong her career, Gavin, can you see her being able to kind of adapt her game plan? As we know, she's kind of a, she, she loves to get, she loves to get caught in the pocket there. She likes to get into the nutritional fight. Sometimes, you know, you can see Ross shouting at the, uh, uh, at the corner, like to get out. She gets involved. It's high intensity. It's high speed. It's high energy. And as you get older, it's harder to keep that up. And as we, as we know, she doesn't really have that knockout punch where she can go into a fight and floor someone in the third round so mm. is it a case of like she has to finish at this point or can you see her being able to adapt her game well just to touch upon your first point there about the, the close-knit group that she has around her uh, that in some situations you would have the sense with a boxer that it is the people around them who have made the decision for them almost that you need to step away and i i would say with taylor it would be the absolute reverse of that like it would be absolutely her decision as an individual and I think the influence of the people around her will only go so far actually like (laughs) I get the impression sometimes they'd need like an American sitcom style intervention like a banner across the living room Katie we need to talk to you sort of thing (laughs) Eddie Brian Ross Bridget her brothers sisters etc in order to convince her but to answer your second question then about adaptation it's a very difficult sport to adapt in, right? Yeah. Like there's only so much you can do and so much you can change before you get clocked ultimately because it's risky. Like we see in golf, obviously lower stakes physically, uh, a golfer might try to interfere with their own swing or, or just fine tune it a little bit. And then suddenly they're eight over par their next round and they're world number 155, two years later. And you're like, where did it all go wrong? And in boxing, the jeopardy is that if it goes slightly wrong, you possibly get your lights knocked. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, it's, yeah. it's, um, the thing is with Taylor is that as, as good as she is technically, she's not especially reliant on some of the fundamentals. Like she rarely actually uses her jab, right? And it, it probably is the most important punch in the sport. And I would say if you were to adapt or find a way of lasting a little bit longer, a jab, a jab would be absolutely paramount to that. And she doesn't really deploy it to uh i guess with the regularity that would make me believe that that would be an option for her so no i think uh, the thing is if she does continue somebody's going to be there right this is how the story plays out invariably and that would be a really dark day for for taylor and for irish sport if or when it does happen and i think from an irish perspective what what i would love to see would be for her to win a serrano rematch and to to ride off into the sunset undefeated 25 and 0 nice kind of there's a nice sound to that yeah 
like, usually with this podcast, I don't have, if there's an Irish, it's usually people, Irish people who are competing in sport here in America. But like, because Katie's has fought so often in Madison Square Garden and uh, she's based in Connecticut. She's lived in Connecticut for the last couple of years. She trains out of Connecticut. I wanted to kind of uh, show, keep track of her um, as she fights, as she comes to the closing stages of her career. But at the same time, with Crow Park, you're saying that might be the, the final farewell. Do you ever see her fighting back in America again, back in Madison Square Garden? There was mumblings, uh, that murmurings after the last fight that he heard was saying that MSG people wanted her back straight away. Can you ever see her fighting back in America again? Yeah, I think it's highly conceivable that she does. I, I think even the Croke Park prospect, and that's all that remains for the moment, Yeah, could easily transpire to happen in MSG or somewhere in the States, right? Um, it was the, the backup option going back to April, the people in Madison Square Garden were genuinely blown away by that fight and were desperate instantaneously afterwards to, to have it back there, to run it back in the same venue. So I think that would definitely be an option if Crow Park couldn't be brought over the line for whatever reason in the spring or the summer. I also think if she doesn't finish, um, say, next summer, and that's if or when uh, the Serrano rematch happens, that cyborg fight that you mentioned could easily go off in somewhere like Vegas, you'd imagine, because it would be more of a, it's a crossover appeal fight where you'd have a little bit of the MMA community out in force as well back in their girls. So um, I could absolutely see her, yeah, fighting in the States again. And as you say, like she is based in Connecticut. I mean, to the extent that she owns a home there, you know, like it is now her adopted home. So I don't think America has seen the last of her, regardless of whether or not she fights there again. She has a, a community of friends that she's built there over recent years. And I wouldn't be shocked if she decides to live there for a little bit longer, even after she retires. So, no, I don't think you'll be rid of her at all. <laughs> so the, the fight is, fight is on Saturday. It's on in uh, it's London Wembley Arena. It's going to be 10 o'clock, I think, UK. What That usually ends up to be around 11 or midnight, doesn't it? So you're talking... Uh, it'll be... Be I'd, say, I'd say it'll be, yeah, 10, half 10. I don't think matchroom main events tend to go too far beyond that. Um, uh, yeah, I, if I was in Ireland, I, I'd probably be tuning in from around half nine or 10, you know, if you wanted to catch, make sure that you catch the Taylor fight. So I don't know how that translates to East Coast time. What's that? Half yeah, five, five, that? around five, half five, yeah, Eastern time. So it's a, it's a nice time to watch a fight. Um, so that's on the, the zone, uh, Gavin, isn't it? So it's pay per view. So people who have watched the last fight would have, uh, who watched it online, would have been on the, the zone as well. Yeah, uh, it, not necessarily pay per view in that um, it, it's not being sold as a sort of a one off event. So if you already have a the zone subscription, for example, yeah. it's just part of your subscription. So yeah, it's a, a subscription streaming service and, and it's part of that regular subscription. Yeah. And Caraval is she's also unbeaten, isn't she? She's 19 and 0. So someone's all, as they usually say, has got to go. But we're hoping that it's uh, it's not Katie's all that's gonna go. So um in terms of women's boxing, Irish women's boxers, Gavin, you see you've been busy at the European Championships there recently. There was a, a sensational medals hall there with the Irish female boxers. Give us a lowdown on what happened and uh and uh would we see any of these boxers actually turn professional? That's a good question, actually. I know Kelly Harrington, who people will know as the Olympic champion at lightweight, Katie Taylor's successor, uh, and who won European gold, completing her set last week in that she has now uh, become only the second fighter after Taylor to be world Olympic and European 
gold medalist. She'd been approached certainly after the Tokyo Olympics to turn professional and she just said no. Um, and she likes her life as it is, didn't really fancy the politics or the more nefarious side of pro boxing and wants to defend her Olympic title. She'd be the first Irish athlete since uh, one of our own, Dr. Pat O'Callaghan in 1928 and 1932 to win back-to-back gold medals for Ireland. So that's enough of a carrot for her for the moment. Um, you know, just to speak to the achievements of that team and to put a little bit of context on it. So Ireland's best performance previously at uh, Europeans would have been at the European Games in 2019, which were ostensibly a European Championships. And they won three medals that time, the Irish women's team. And uh, they won seven last week. Um, now, it is a competition taking place without Russian competitors because of geopolitics. But equally, like, or even still, for them to win seven and three goals yeah. uh, was phenomenal. And there was a, lo- a nice uh, backstory to each of them. Kelly Arrington completing the set, as I mentioned. Amy Broadhurst, speaking of hat-tricks, has won a world championship, uh, gold, Commonwealth gold, and European gold, all within the space of, I guess, eight or nine months, which is just an unbelievable breakout year for her. And maybe the most remarkable thing about those achievements are that they've come three kilograms above her natural weight. She actually would prefer to be competing at Harrington's weight, but because Harrington is who she is and the reigning Olympic champ, she's the incumbent at that spot. So that's the Olympic spot. And Broadhurst's weight that she's won these three medals at this year isn't an Olympic weight class because there are fewer weight divisions uh, in Paris. So Broadhurst will have to make a call as to whether she maybe keeps going up and puts on another three kg or maybe comes down and tries to challenge Harrington at the Irish elites in the new year. Um, and I don't know if that will be something that the IABA will actually permit happening. Um, yeah. they, they, have, uh, they have a habit of, well, look, I'll, I'll be careful what I say there, but sometimes let's say some of these champions are, are kept in cotton wool to an extent, or they're not entered yeah. into the elites or, or they withdraw with injury, blah, 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 you know? So uh, that's a li- that's an interesting sort of, rivalry that's been brewing for a long time it, there used to be plenty of animosity between them and now they actually are quite fond of each other which makes it all the more interesting if they do have to compete against each other for that same olympic spot and yeah and then e4 rourke uh back-to-back european goal again it's a it's a brilliant story in so far as you know she won it as a real bolt from the blue in 2019 and three years later she just goes and does it again and, and retains her european crown uh, figuratively speaking and uh it's an amazing story for her family like they're um, yeah. they're from castle ray and county roscommon her sister lisa is a world champion one world championship goal at the same worlds that brought her state earlier this year and she's also a midfielder for the roscommon senior team so just an unbelievably talented family you kind of think imagine being their cousin at christmas dinner you know you'd be like you know Oh, yeah, you're, you're learning a bit of guitar. Yeah, class. Like, I'm a world champion and Roscommon midfielder. My sister's back-to-back European champ. But, um, and yeah, I mean, uh, pretty much every medalist, actually. Like, Christina Desmond uh, from Cork uh, took yeah. silver. She had won European bronze in 2016. But she had actually only been called up to the team at relatively short notice because Lisa O'Rourke, the world champion, had been ruled out through injury. So that speaks to the depth that we have in Irish women's boxing, that somebody... Um, I won't go as far as to say was taken off the couch because I'm sure Christina would have been training, but that she wouldn't necessarily have been gearing towards these European championships and that she went and, and nearly got gold. I mean, her final was pretty close. So things are looking pretty nice yeah. now ahead of, ahead of Paris, but busy year to come next year to begin with. 
Yeah, just uh, so there's another, uh, there's going to be another Irish fighter on the on the card Saturday. Katie's uh, card, uh, Gavin Cully's fighting there. What's the, um, what, what's the prospect of him winning? Yeah, it's a pretty good fight for Gary Cully. He's a nice man. I think, is he 25, 26 now, Gary? He's 14 and 08 knockouts. He's six foot two and he's a lightweight. So um, it's, it's, like anatomically interesting to see a guy who weighs so little being so tall and he gets a lot of elasticity and sting out of his punches because of his body shape, I think, or at least partly because of that. Um, he's fighting a guy, Joad Belmedi, who's also unbeaten 16-0 and 3, I think, so three draws. And it's a real opportunity for Gary Cully to showcase himself in front of a, a wider British audience, I think, because, um, well, British and Irish, obviously, but... Uh, in the sense that a lot of the people who would be tuning into the zone would just be British boxing fans who might not have seen him before or might have seen him once. He only recently signed with Matchroom and Eddie Hearn. And I think he he's somebody who, when he was managed by NGK Global, slipped the radar in Irish media terms and maybe didn't get the coverage that is that would have been commensurate to his talent. Now, that's mm. partly his own fault in that he chose his management team and uh, and they chose war, I guess, with the Irish media. But um, he is somebody for Irish boxing fans to be really excited about. I think he's okay. uh, he's got like yeah, I think he's got the minerals, and he's exciting to watch. Really eloquent guy, like really well spoken. Uh, so yeah, I want to keep an eye out for if you have the early evening free over there uh, on Saturday. Gary would be on probably. I get I don't know maybe a half three four p.m. Uh, Eastern time. So okay, keep an eye. So there's a couple of other so, so there's a couple of other boxers, Gar, uh, Gav, that have uh, that, that have fought in America. I'll start that, that we just want to give a just briskly touch on. Uh, where's Michael Conlon's um, career sta- uh, standing at the moment? Yeah, he's back out in December in Belfast, I think. Um, and I think it's his career is yeah, it's on pretty solid footing. Obviously, he had that devastating loss to Lee Wood two fights ago, but bounced back with a pretty impressive victory in Belfast and he's out now again in Belfast and I think it's a it's sort of a case of keep on winning and wait for the title picture to clear up again or just wait for a little avenue into title contention I know he'd love the wood rematch because geez I mean nine times out of ten he probably wins that fight it was just a disaster at the end that caught him um so yeah I mean I'd say almost Things are going to plan for him. The, the wood thing was a massive blip, obviously, but yeah. he's still very firmly in that picture. He's a, I think he proved himself that night to be a world-class professional fighter. We obviously knew he was a world-class amateur, literally a world champion amateur. Mm. So I think he turned a lot of heads and, and even staved off a few doubters in, in the States and in the UK that night. And it's just maybe just about the waiting game now for Conlon and making sure he does get that second opportunity at a big belt. Okay. Um, Dennis Hogan, who recently won in Australia, who's based in Australia, he's fought here before. I've seen him fighting the Barclays Centre and uh, Gary Spike O'Sullivan, who's, who fought in Barclays a couple of months ago. They're looking to kind of uh, get a fight against each other. Um, I see some talk there online with the two of them. Would that be, is that something that's going to be like a kind of an undercard on the Katie Taylor fight? Uh, Serrano, or is it going to be a separate fight or how will it come about? If I was them, that's what I'd be looking to do for sure. I think you're guaranteed to have an audience there to begin with. Um, with the greatest respect to the two lads, and uh, you know they're both immensely popular in Irish boxing circles. I'm not sure at this point if they would like sell out the three arena together um, because 
generally speaking, you're going to need five, 7,000 more casual sports fans to fill an arena like that. Mm-hmm. Katie Taylor has that broader appeal where people would, whereas Spike and Hogan, <clears throat> excuse me, whereas with Spike and Hogan, I'm not sure the significance of the fight would really be uh, felt by the public necessarily, the ticket buying public. So yeah. why not go on that Katie undercard if that happens and fight in front of uh, probably a lot more people than you'd fit into the three yeah. arena. They're, they're both really friendly guys, both great servants to Irish boxing and great ambassadors, I think, for it. And the thing is, they're very friendly with each other as well. They have a lot of respect between each other. They've said for a long time that if one of them got a title, they would give the other the opportunity of, of taking it off them. And Dennis Hogan had a sensational win over Sam Eggington, a Birmingham man down in uh, in Australia, got two, three weeks ago. So he has a, an IBO belt now, which is, you know what, it, it, for a long time, the IBO hasn't been recognized as one of the four major sanctioning bodies. I kind of think all of them are atrocious, so why not just throw the IBO in there? And if the belt means something to the individual, then, you know, good for you. And um and that would be a, a fight that I think would interest a lot of Irish boxing fans for sure. Yeah, Hogan has persevered over the last couple of years, hasn't he? He's, I think, 37 now, and he was unlucky in it with a few few calls. Um, yeah. But he finally got finally got that belt a couple of weeks ago, as you say. He should have been world champion in Mexico three years ago. He yeah. fought a really feared guy at the time, Jaime Munguia, and he was robbed, basically, on the cards. It was in Monterrey, Mexico. Munguia was a Mexican and yeah one of the more controversial ones that we've ever seen really in irish boxing and he should have been a legitimate world champion that night um and he made mongia look ordinary and others have have done the same since he almost burst the bubble a little bit so yeah great um hogan is a great story one for a google if you're sitting there and, and you have a bit of spare time i've done a few bits with him in the past as of other irish boxing journalists really well-spoken guy well-traveled guy and uh uh, just a great Irish sportsman, I think. Yeah, yeah. So uh, on the flip side, a guy who's up and coming is uh, Callum Walsh. There, King Callum Walsh, who's out the the West Coast. Um, he's had a couple of couple of wins under under his belt. Gav, uh, what's your uh, take on him? Yeah, really talented prospect. Has all the infrastructure around him in that he's trained by Freddie Roach. He's got Tom Loeffler, Gennady Golovkin, and the Klitschko brothers, former promoter, uh, involved in his career. He's got the support of Dana White, who keeps putting him on the UFC. Yeah. Um, on-demand sort of platform and fight pass, excuse me, I was just trying to think of the name of it. He hits hard, he looks good, he sounds good, he's a cork man all the uh, materials are there <laughs> Alright, super Gav I think we're just about to cut out there in less than a minute <laughs> I I <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a million Gav, really appreciate it um, Take care, mate. anytime Okay, hopefully we'll see you out here soon again for uh, maybe a Colin fight or a Katie Taylor fight Absolutely, loved it. Me away, you Santi, my dear Annie. And that's all for this week. Let us know what you think by leaving us a comment on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Long Haul Podcast. You can follow Gavin on Twitter on the handle at Gavin Casey or read all of his stories on the42.ie. Our next episode will be with Tim Hurley to discuss his new Irish whiskey called Lost Irish. Slong of all, and thanks for listening. Can you dance the polka to me? Why, you Santi, my dear Annie? Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka? And when we got inside the house, the drinks were passed around. The liquor was so awful strong, my head went round and round to me. Away, you Santi, my dear Annie. 
Girls, can you dance the polka to me? Why, you Santi, my dear Annie? Oh, you New York girls, can you dance the polka?